Hey there, listeners. Welcome to Horror Movie Club, the show where two dudes who are not quite nerds but not quite noobs choose a horror movie each week to rate and review. I'm Brian, I'm on the phone with Ashvin, and today we are discussing Jason Goes to Hell, The Final Friday from 1993, directed by Adam Marcus, written by Jay Hughley, Adam Marcus, and Dean Laurie, starring John D. LeMay, Carrie Keegan, Stephen Williams, and Kane Hodder. In this film, Jason is killed yet again, but is this time resurrected in a way that is entirely new to the franchise. And we are continuing our journey through the franchise because... This Friday is Friday the 13th, and every time a Friday the 13th comes around, we do an episode on one of these, and I think we've only got three left to cover, buddy. That's incredible. I can't believe we've uh, made it this far. Five years will do that, yeah. Yeah, damn. Nice. You usually get, what, like two or three of these a year? Yeah, like one to three. I feel like three is the most Friday the 13th that's ever happened in a year. Oh, okay, okay. Um, But I want to say it's probably more like one to two. Sure. Yeah. All right, so you doing anything for Friday the Thirteenth? No, I never do. Do you? Aside from record these with you? Oh yeah. Uh, one of my friends, Jason, who's been on this podcast, uh, used to always have like a horror movie night around then. Um, but yeah, I'm wondering. I, I'm thinking this year maybe I'll, I'll host a little horror movie night. Let's oh, see. good for you. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, maybe it, it seems like a fun date to celebrate. Do you know what you would what you would uh, showcase? What no, movies? Probably just pull like a poll out there or something. Uh, people always ask me. But I don't know why they think I would know what movie to watch. <laughs> <laughs> you ever get asked about like horror movies uh, outside of the context of this, like outside of this recording, and your mind goes blank on horror movies? Yeah. Oh, yeah. All the time. People will ask a question like, "What's what are some you recommend? And I'll be like, yeah. uh, uh, <laughs> I don't know. Have I ever seen a horror movie? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's weird. Or all I can think of is like the, a movie I gave like, a three to it. I'm like, actually, wait, I don't even like that movie that much. Um, yeah, I know. I know, man. Watching so many, just kind of like, they all kind of flare in together. There really is an unfortunate side effect that things do start to blend together. And I'm like, I should have tons of horror movie knowledge. Right. And I retain some of it, but when you kind of like have to cram for each one, yeah, you unfortunately don't retain as much as you should. I honestly think I'd probably retain more knowledge if I just listened to our podcast oh, rather yeah. than, <laughs> than doing it. Yeah, yeah. Same, same. I feel like I should ask someone who listens to our podcast to answer those <laughs> Yeah, let's ask a listener. <laughs> yeah. Do they have any recommendations? Um, yeah, man. So this is, this is our journey through this franchise that I think we've both, you know, we came out the gate pretty critical of this franchise, and I think we've both softened up. I honestly feel like once we finish it, we should really go back and watch the first one again and see if mm-hmm. our minds have changed. Yeah, yeah, I'd really interested. I really Yeah, I think out of all the franchises we've seen, this one's probably been, like, the biggest journey from, like, yeah, hate to liking it to, yeah, ups and downs. Yeah, right. I don't think we're in love with it still, but we certainly appreciate the average Friday the 13th film yeah. more than we did at the, at the get-go. Is it because as you watch more of them, you kind of like, yeah, you, you kind of know what to expect? And then yeah, you, I mean, it's good. expectations have to have something to do with it, right? Right, right, for sure. But I also wonder, is it like, oh, once you're more familiar with the slasher formula, you can more critically analyze like how they're succeeding or failing with that formula. But honestly, it, I think it's mostly maybe just expectations. Yeah, yeah. Kind of by like eight films in, kind of know what you're getting into when you go into one of these films. Yeah, yeah, nine films. And you know what I was just thinking uh, with, you know, the 
The next film we'll cover in this franchise is Jason X, and we just discussed Saw X. These are the 10th movie in franchises that often use Roman numerals in them. Hmm. But I think most people say Saw X and Jason X. Yeah. Even though the rest of the films have used Roman numerals to mean a number. Like, you wouldn't call Saw 5 Saw V. Or you Saw wanna... 6, Saw VI. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But you would call Scream 5 Cream. That's uh, true. So Yeah, but you're right. Yeah, other Roman numerals necessarily X gets a... Uh, yeah. What other uh, what other movie has like a part 10 outside of Saw in, in this one? Uh, oh, I don't know if there's many that like have a clear demarcation of this is film number 10 because they like start over and yeah. reboot and... Right. Yeah, like Halloween I, has a tenth film, but it's the tenth one is what six H uh, two O, and then is it one of the Rob Zombie? Yeah. Oh, man, I'm, I'm, the tenth one is Halloween kill or Halloween from 2018, right? Oh okay, no, okay. no, fuck me, I don't know. Right. <laughs> yeah, it might yeah. be it might be Rob Zombie's second movie. Yeah, but, but that's a good point. Like I, I don't know about any other films that uh, have a tenth that they call X. Uh, Superman got up there, but I don't. Even, I don't think they went up to ten. It's interesting. I think it's also that horror is so, you know, X like X-rated, extreme, and yeah, yeah, sure fits the genre. Sure, sure, it's an ominous letter. Yeah, right. Um, so this director, uh, this is his directorial debut, Adam Marcus. He would later go on to co-write the 2013 film Texas Chainsaw 3D. I don't think producer Sean Cunningham and director Adam Marcus got along very well or saw eye to eye in many instances on this movie from what I was reading. Yeah, a lot of creative differences along the way. Yeah, and it sounds like at the end of shooting, Cunningham was dissatisfied with the product and supposedly half of the movie was reshot. Never know how much truth there is to those kind of claims, but I think it's safe to say they they were button heads a bit. Yeah, I'd be curious to know like what it would Mark, what was Marcus versus what was Cunningham. Um, the Marcus thing to me blows my mind because uh, he's like 23, and this is his first movie that he's doing. Uh, I think he worked as an apprentice for uh, Cunningham's wife on another film potentially, um, and and, and uh, oh, it was on Friday the Part 13th Part Two. But how does this guy suddenly get like director's seat for such a big franchise? It is weird. I mean, there's, we've run into a few instances of this, and I'm I'm thinking of Michael Chavez with the Conjuring universe. It's like, who did? How do some people just get like handed the keys to something? And yeah, I mean, everyone's kind of got to start somewhere and work their way up. But sometimes it feels like, oh, this person came out of nowhere, and now they're trusted with something kind of big. I don't know that Friday the Thirteenth, the the ninth Friday the Thirteenth film is something big, especially after Jason Takes Manhattan was kind of a, a critical and commercial flop. But yeah, nonetheless. Okay, yeah, I, I guess you're right. I mean, there's a lot writing on this film, though, in terms of uh, this was like New Line had just bought in the rights to Jason, right? Yeah, I mean, it's New Line's first shot at one of these films, um, and the reason. So I guess we'll start at the the beginning of that story, but. After the box office returns for Friday the 13th Part 8, Jason Takes Manhattan were not that great or not as expected. Paramount Pictures sold the character rights of Jason Voorhees to New Line. However, they retained the rights to the title Friday the 13th, 
which is why this film and the next two films in the franchise don't have Friday the 13th anywhere in their titles. This is called Jason Goes to Hell, The Final Friday. The next one's called Jason X. The next one's called Freddy vs. Jason. So you don't get that Friday the 13th back until 2009. And um, why does it come in 2009? Uh, did someone finally buy the rights of that title? You know, that was on my mental to-do list to go find that out before we started recording, and I didn't get to it. But I assume that Paramount then later sold the title to... Uh, people are going to be pissed at me if I'm wrong about this, but I'm pretty sure that remake was Platinum Dunes. Oh, okay, um, okay. So I'm guessing Paramount sold the rights to the title to yeah. Platinum Dunes. Yeah, yeah. I was wondering why uh, the films, like starting from this and, and onwards, uh, aren't like suddenly veer away title-wise. But uh, that was, was really interesting to read that, like you get the character, but you don't get the Friday the Thirteenth title. It's really weird too. Yeah, and then in the script, I think the character of Steven was going to be Tommy Jarvis, but they didn't have the rights to Tommy Jarvis as a right. character, so they couldn't right. do that. Yes, all they had was Jason, basically. Exactly. But, (laughs) I mean, that's a big deal if you're New Line because it enables the eventual crossover of Freddy vs. Jason in 2003. Right. And that crossover was actually Cunningham's idea for this film, but it was shelved for the time being for whatever reason. It just sounds like this movie had a lot of creative stops and starts and you know, mm-hmm. oh, I don't like that idea. Let's scratch that. And hey, you come in and fix it. Yep. So, um, scripts being thrown out. Yeah. Like Jay yeah. Hughley's first script was apparently deemed no good. So, Dean Laurie was brought in to rewrite it. And he wrote on an idea of Jason being in the middle of a gang war in LA. Oh, yeah. That was scrapped, but it sounds like some elements of the script were kept. It sounds like elements of enough of the scripts were kept that they're credited. Um, I don't know entirely how that that WGA crediting works, but um, it sounds like Adam Marcus kind of redid things with the script is kind of what I assumed based on what I read, but it was a little bit of a confusing journey. Yeah, seems like it, right? I didn't realize uh, Manhattan bombed so bad. Like I know it was a, a wild film. But uh, was it that much of a box office failure? I think it just was like representative of the decline of the franchise mm. in general. It wasn't a total failure. It yeah, it made fourteen point three million worldwide, and this made fifteen point nine million. Um, and this this movie was made on a budget of three million, so you know it it multiplied its budget times five. Um, yep. But I think they're still hoping for more with this franchise. Um, sure. But yeah, after you after you adjust for inflation, this actually made less real dollars than Jason Takes Manhattan did. Ah, uh, okay, okay. So yeah. it's kind of a continued decline, even though it made more in in that year's currency. Got it. Yeah, well, that's unfortunate. Uh, it was not thought and highly thoughten, uh, not thought highly of thunk. by critics. Thunk. That, yeah. Thank you. It, uh, they think it was 16% good based on Rotten Tomatoes critics score. And the users aren't much kinder at 24%. Um, yeah, we already talked to earn $16 million on a $3 million budget. Uh, the music is done by Harry Manfredini, as usual. I don't know if I'm going to list all that. Actually, it's been a few... I think I've skipped listing the entire franchise for a few Friday the 13th episodes, so 
it's time to time to go back. So it begins in 1980 with Friday the 13th. Part 2 is in 1981. Part 3 is in 1982. Part 4, the final chapter, is in 1984. Part 5, A New Beginning, is in 1985. Part 6, Jason Lives, in 1986. Part 7, The New Blood, in 1988. Part 8, Jason Takes Manhattan, in 1989. Part 9, Jason Goes to Hell, The Final Friday. There is no Part 9 in the title, though. Um, then Jason X in 02. Friday, the final Friday was in 93. Jason X is in 02. Freddy versus Jason, 03. Then Friday the 13th in 2009, and it's been 14 years. Hey, I think uh, out of all of them, I, I think the only one left for me to see is Jason X. What, what, what about you? Uh, I still need to see Jason X and the remake. Oh, okay. You've seen Freddy vs. Jason? I've seen Freddy vs. Jason, yeah. Oh, uh, okay, okay, cool. All right, well, I, I, I was thinking I might go ahead and like finish this franchise without you just so I can check off my nerd new bombeter boxes. Oh, yeah. And I was feeling guilty about that, but now knowing that you've seen those, I, I feel less guilty. Yeah, yeah, no, go, go for it. Uh, yeah, I've, I, that's kind of cool. We'll, we'll have a whole franchise uh, under our belt uh, in like hopefully within the next year, huh? Um, I can't remember when the when we cross the finish line. Oh. I, I think it's either late twenty twenty four or early twenty twenty five. Okay, damn. Yeah. Cool. Uh, special makeup effects by Kurtzman, Nicotero, and Berger EFX Group. And the cinematography done by a guy whose parents named him Bill Dill. <laughs> That's nice. just unfortunate. Too. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> uh, is William Dill much better? That is was the way he appeared on screen, William Dill. Oh, okay. um, but yeah, his, his Wikipedia page is, is Bill Dill. Yeah, damn. Um, yeah, produced by Sean S. Cunningham. Um any any info you really want to share? All oh, the actors we didn't really get into. Um, not many of them are that notable in terms of working on a whole lot of other stuff. Um, it's almost more notable for who maybe could have played their characters. So Carrie Keegan, who plays Jessica, was almost Laurie Holden of The Walking Dead. She was the initial choice, but Cunningham overruled overruled Lori and Marcus and chose Carrie Keegan instead. Yeah. Damn, these guys, everything from casting to the story. I just, directing. yeah, they couldn't agree on anything. And yeah, I don't, I don't know about Cunningham's judgment based on my overall enjoyment of this franchise. Yeah. I'm curious. Cause he's only directed the first one, but he is like the creator of the whole series. Right. So I, I don't know how much like credit to give this guy. Uh, was the first one really well directed? Me neither. And then just knowing he's in like a contentious battle with Victor Miller too. Like after a while, who wrote the first one? Mm. It's like after a while, if a person's having enough conflicts with enough people, you kind of yeah. figure out who the problem probably is. <laughs> it's probably other people. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, that oh, is the- what these types of people always tell themselves. <laughs> exactly. Uh, one big thing that, that uh, I thought you would pick up on, um, the Evil Dead connection. You read about this? Yeah, I just didn't know if that was a spoiler that, that we should oh, okay, yeah, save yeah. until later. We can save for later. I'm curious on, on your take there. Uh, but yeah, that, that came out like years later. Yeah, yeah, we'll go into that. Um, and then but, Stephen Williams uh, played Creighton Duke, the bounty hunter, 
And he's a prolific actor, actor with uh, like 153 acting credits to his name. But Tony Todd auditioned for this role and yeah. didn't get it. Yeah, yeah, so that's, that's a bummer. It, it'd be interesting to see this movie starring Tony Todd and Laurie Holden. I know, I know, that'd be way different. I think so. Yeah. Uh, oh, one one thing, I mean, uh, so the, this film, it uh, veers off course uh, from much of the, the frame. Well, actually, I don't know. You've, we've had some Friday the 13th where Jason isn't the main character, right? Yes. One uh, of them specifically. Yeah, yeah, one. I, I guess, yeah, to me, I wonder if this is like the Halloween 3 of the franchise um, where like in Halloween 3 they told a whole different story and here it feels like, as we get into the plot and stuff, I'm sure I'll talk about it, but th- this feels like a big divergence from like the rest of the franchise. Uh, or do, do you think it is? Yeah, I mean, this this franchise may have like two Halloween 3s, <laughs> like yeah. the one without Jason and this one. Yeah, it's interesting because I feel like you can get away with that probably pretty early in the franchise, like Halloween three did. Uh, but even they got a bunch of heat. But like, yeah, doing it on like the the ninth film, uh, I, yeah, it probably pissed off a lot of people. It's a big swing they've taken here. Like you've got eight films of mythology, and you take a total left turn with it on the ninth film. It's uh it's a, it's a risk. It's a it's a thing. Yeah, I could see the fan base being pretty upset about it. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, Kane Hodder is playing Jason for the third time in this film. He also played him in Part 7 and Part 8. And then he plays him for the final time in Jason X. He does not play Jason in Jason versus Freddy, uh, or Freddy versus Jason, rather, nor in the 2009 remake. Um, he's also a prolific stunt performer and coordinator and served as a stunt coordinator on this film and the stunt co- coordinator for part seven. Okay. Wow. So he's only done like three of these films. Yeah. Right. His name is so huge in his connections to the Friday the 13th franchise, but, right. uh, no, no, not three. Um, four, four, four. four? This okay, is his okay. third time than Jason X. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, four, you know, yeah. Four is enough. I think that's more than anybody else. And being the stunt coordinator for a couple of them, yep. I think cements his legacy tied to this franchise. Sure. Uh, he's also the slasher villain Victor Crawley in the Hatchet franchise. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Nice. Uh, which we'll probably cover more of those at some point, I got to imagine. I hope so. I had a lot yeah. of fun watching that one. Sequel September is just around the corner again. <laughs> oh, no. 11 months away. <laughs> yep. Any other background info you want to share on this thing before we get started spoiling it? Uh, not much else. Nope, I don't have anything. All right. Well, our Ohio connection, as always, comes from our friend Alex, who owns the Jukebox Bar and Restaurant in Cleveland, Ohio, who has great food, great drinks. Stop on by Jukebox if you're in Northeast Ohio. Alex connects every movie we watch to our home state of Ohio for us. And he says, Jason Goes to Hell, The Final Friday, is a supernatural slasher film directed by Adam Marcus. It marks the ninth installment in the Friday the 13th franchise and is set after the events of Friday the 13th Part 8, Jason Takes Manhattan. Although it kind of ignores a lot of what went on there. The film follows Jason's spirit as it possesses various people to continue his killings after his death. Actor Stephen Colt plays the role of Jessica's boyfriend and TV reporter Robert Campbell. Culp has also appeared in the films James and the Giant Peach, The Emperor's Club, and most notably in the political thriller 13 Days, playing Robert F. Kennedy. 
On television, Cope had recurring roles on Jag, The West Wing, and Desperate Housewives. Stephen Cope's mother, Marianne Joseph, was born in Coshocton, Ohio. Ah, nice, nice. Where's that? Oh, I cannot remember. I, uh, I want to okay. say it's either like way northeast or like like central east. Okay. Some, but boy, something, I, yeah, something east. I don't yeah. remember. Yeah, I could be way off. Cool. Nice. Good connection. Yeah, thanks, Alex. Uh, you ready to spoil some stuff? Walk through the yeah. plot? Let's do it. All right. Let's do it. I'll be right back, though. I've got to run to the grocery store and get my kid's favorite cereal for breakfast tomorrow morning or he's going to be pissed. Oh, okay, yeah, go for it. All right, I'll be right back. All right. Hey, man, I'm back. Hey, you find that cereal? I found it, no problem, but uh, things didn't go so great. I was in such a hurry when I left that I guess I forgot my wallet and didn't realize it until I got to the uh, cash register. The cashier told me there was one other way to pay, though, and uh, she broke a few of my fingers in exchange for the cereal. <laughs> the finger currency. It was pretty messed up, yeah. Apparently it's a yeah. thing. <laughs> What's the uh, exchange rate there? Is it like- <laughs> Right? <laughs> yeah. It seems well, like three fingers is about $10. $10. Okay, nice. <laughs> Uh, that's yeah it's an interesting metric one of the dumbest things I feel like I've ever seen in a, in yeah. a movie here right uh, the film opens with a young woman driving up to an old cabin at Camp Crystal Lake as she enters the lights go out and she replaces a bulb but then when she gets in the shower the lights go out yet again as she steps out of the bathroom wrapped in a towel, Jason appears next to her and a chase is on. She runs out of the cabin and through the woods with Jason in close pursuit. And then unexpectedly, as she gets into a clearing, many high-powered lights turn on. She does a tuck and roll and dozens of SWAT team members appear. They were waiting in the woods to ambush Jason. They pump him full of bullets and blow him up with a grenade. And, and as his body parts fly all over the place... We see his still intact heart beating on the ground a few times before it ceases pumping. The SWAT team all cheers. They give each other high fives and congratulate themselves on finally killing Jason. And the woman who remarkably stayed wrapped in a towel throughout a (laughs) high-speed chase through the woods was an FBI agent who was apparently used as bait to lure Jason into a trap. What the hell did you think of this? <laughs> I liked it, man. I, I, th- I thought it was like really unexpected and funny, and it took me by surprise. At first, I was like, "Oh, this is so cliche." It's opening, and like we're getting like that nudity scene like right away, and like there's barely any suspense, and that like we don't know who this person is. But then I think it, it almost feels feels kind of meta, like in uh, making fun of like a typical horror film movie opening, and then ending in this like huge action sequence where it's just like so over the top and how they blow them up. Uh, I, I I I was in. I thought it was a, a real fun ride. What, what did you? think it almost gives me like cabin in the woods type vibe totally yeah right right exactly i don't know what i think to be honest with you man all i know is my jaw was on the floor when it was revealed that this swat (laughs) team had set a trap for jason and that this woman was in on it i don't know if it's funny or genius or just (laughs) it it was audacious at the bare minimum yeah i agree i agree which (laughs) i mean it's it's something more than your typical opening right it's something more than (laughs) absolutely absolutely this is the wildest beginning to a a friday the 13th film yeah 
Yeah, I agree. Hey, his heart looked pretty big, didn't it? It did look pretty big, and the coroner commented on the same okay. later on in the, yeah. the next scene or two. Right, right. Okay. He's, he's got a big heart. Yeah, I know. Just like you. I know. <laughs> we have that in common. The pieces of Jason's body are taken to a morgue in Youngstown, Ohio, of all places, uh, where, you know, this was a double header for Alex on these Ohio connections. And I told him, hey, man, if you're too busy, this their Youngstown is involved in the plot. And just mm-hmm. props to Alex for rarely taking the easy way out with oh, these man, connections. Yeah. He likes a challenge. He does. Uh, anyway, where were we? The pieces of Jason's body are taken to a morgue in, in good old Youngstown, Ohio, where Kane Hodder plays one of the security guards outside the morgue. As the coroner performs Jason's autopsy, he notices that the heart is twice the size as normal and filled with some sort of viscous black liquid. To his amazement, the heart begins beating again, and he seems to be almost hypnotized by Jason's beating heart, so much so that he gives in to some supernatural temptation and eats it. He eats Jason's heart. After he does so, a bunch of orange balls of light go out of Jason's body and into the corner as he groans monstrously. And it is now clear that Jason has possessed the coroner as he stabs another coroner through the head, and we see in the mirror that his reflection appears as Jason's physical form. Some sort of vampire-esque mythology there. Yep. Um, and we later learn in a, the next scene from a news broadcast that uh, this coroner, who was possessed by Jason, escaped the hospital after killing three men. So that other coroner and the two security guards outside the morgue, one of whom was played by Kane Hodder. Again, what the hell do you think of this outrageousness? Yeah, this is going to look ridiculous. <laughs> like <laughs> they lost the, you here. Uh, yeah, yeah. The, the eating of, of Jason's heart. Like, Jason's heart's never been a conversation of, uh, or topic of conversation throughout the franchise. And suddenly it, like, makes people want to eat it. And then, uh, yeah, that it can possess someone else. And then the, the magic thing, like, looks really kind of cheesy and uh, not well executed there. Uh, so yeah, that was kind of starting to scratch my head and wonder what the fuck's going on here. But what were your thoughts? Any effects having to do with like beams of light or bolts of electricity from like 1982 to 1995? Yeah. (laughs) Just looks so bad. So bad. It's just like, why did they ever try? Yeah. I wonder if like those are the only effects that they had available back then. Like, uh, with the the exception of gremlins too, but continue. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, was it just, like, five buttons on, on like, a... Yeah, yeah, it was, like, you got three options. You got blue lines that look like lightning. (laughs) You got orange balls that look like bottle rockets. Exactly. Yeah, 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 that's that's exactly what it looked like. That's pretty funny. What what did you think? Were you, like, uh, buying into, like, uh, these new powers that are being revealed? No, I I just... It did feel like uh, one leap too many after that opening. It's just, like... Like you said, there has been no had clues that any of this was in the works like it doesn't piggyback well off of any of the franchise's mythology mm-hmm. it, yeah I, I i don't i don't like it <laughs> yeah same same uh and this idea of like other people looking like jason like like jason looking like other people i guess that i mean if you're a fan of jason and you come to a jason movie to quickly find out oh, shit, I'm not going to see much of Jason, am I? That's got to be a little bit of a kick in the nards. Yeah. I I don't think I realized it here. I'm like, okay, maybe this is just like a really quick thing and Jason's coming back. But 
Yeah. Those. Yeah, I mean, this begins various other people being Jason who are yep. not Jason except when you get a quick glimpse in a mirror like two or three times. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So it sounds like the movie's losing us a little bit here. Yeah, yeah. Um, so as we mentioned before, there's this news broadcast that tells about the whole affair. And from the news broadcast, we learn that basically the entire nation is afraid of Jason Voorhees. It's documented that he has killed at least 83 people. And they interview a famous bounty hunter who hunts serial killers and insists that Jason is not dead. And then he wears other people's bodies as suits. Uh, he insists that he's the only one who can kill Jason and he'll do it for $500,000. The news program in what seems like maybe a publicity stunt insists that they will pay this bounty hunter named Creighton Duke what he is asking for for Jason to be killed. Do they they never explain like how Creighton knows this, right? No, but there is an unwritten backstory for him where Jason killed his teenage girlfriend uh, mm-hmm. when he was young and ever since then he dedicated his life to finding and killing Jason and became a bounty hunter to to fund that endeavor. Oh, okay. And somehow he knows that like Jason can like there's yeah, some kind of he has this power to possess other people and stuff. Exactly. He's been kind of working behind the scenes this whole time, like digging up dirt on Jason. Huh. Yeah. Reading at the library. Which yeah. isn't in, in the movie at all, but yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, he was also there at the opening scene, right? When they blow up uh, and kill Jason. Isn't right. Isn't he like there and he's like, I don't think so or something? <laughs> he's basically weird. like watching from the trees just being like, yeah, you guys, he, this isn't it. Like, yeah, yeah, you right. didn't do it. You're right. not hot shit. Uh, We transition to a diner near Camp Crystal Lake where Creighton Duke asks one of the servers named Diana for her help killing Jason, even though we're not quite sure why he would need her. I know who you are, he tells her, so we know something's up. We also meet some of the colorful characters who are employed and or own the diner, um, employed at or own the diner, and we meet our main character, Stephen, who is the father of Diana's daughter's child. Diana asks him to meet her at 11 o'clock tonight at her house. Uh, She asks Stephen this because she's got something to tell Stephen about her daughter, Jessica, who is the mother of Stephen's child. (laughs) 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 Are you doing that? You okay? (laughs) Yeah. This plot was surprisingly convoluted. Did yeah, it feel that relas- way to you? The relationships are like all over the place. Uh, yeah. It kind of plays out. Yeah. It's like a complicated drama for some reason. Yeah. It's just like, it's it's like 15 minutes before we meet this woman who is important because she is the mother of a woman who had a baby with our main character. It's just, yeah. yeah. I'm even surprised that that guy's the main character. I, I, I didn't, uh. I didn't put that together. I consider him to be. I mean, you could say Jessica is, but it yeah. seems kind of like he is. I guess, yeah. It comes out to him and Jessica. Yeah. Uh, anyway, on his way home, Stephen picks up three hitchhikers, a young couple and an, a, another young woman with them, who propositions Stephen to come skinny dipping with them at Crystal Lake. He declines the offer, and it's the good thing because later in the evening, all three of these campers are murdered by Jason, who is using the body of the coroner. He bloodlessly kills the first woman, but impales the other while she is on top of her boyfriend mid-coitus, and blood sp- 
sprays all over his face. Do we even see him get killed? I don't remember that uh, at all. I feel like yeah. we don't. I don't think so either. I think he's just like screaming as he sees uh, her getting stabbed. Yeah. Uh, we cut back to the diner where one of the town uh, policemen is picking up his girlfriend from her shift at the diner. Uh, but coroner Jason appears on the scene and quickly smashes her head in a car door and kidnaps the police officer. When he smashes her head, it's like a half second shot. That was, yeah, that was <laughs> such poor editing. That was, was horrible. That? Yeah. yeah. I don't. And in a movie that took a lot of time, uh, uh, effort was given to the gore. Like, many complaints about the franchise are, oh, the kills are all chopped up and edited to, like, get the R rating. Not this one. Like, they, they get bloody. And, yeah. and they don't seem to have to worry about the sensors as much. So to sure. have someone like have their head smashed in a door for like a millisecond and show nothing yep. of it is just real weird. Yeah, that was really strange. I'm wondering what happened there. Yeah. Anyway, this officer <laughs> who was kidnapped by Jason awakens to find himself naked and tied up next to a roaring fireplace <laughs> in kind of like a kinky bondage type situation, if I may say so. Yeah. And Jason is shaving his face with a, with a straight razor, just shaving this guy's face, and then leans in close to presumably kiss him. But in doing so, it's clear he's like transferring his consciousness into this officer's body. Did this is- strike you as like maybe the weirdest moment of the film so far, even though it's had... <laughs> <laughs> two or three already weird moments yeah this is really weird like the effort he went through to like capture this guy tie him down start a fire and then uh get and it wasn't just like a uh, shaving it was like uh he had the shaving cream and stuff it was like a proper like nice shave a proper uh, shave job yeah yeah and, and like why why how the wasn't the dude he uh, had already possessed didn't he have a mustache exactly yeah he's yeah. he's shown no affinity that like or maybe he did and he was like you know what I walked around with that thing for a couple hours and did not care for that. Yeah. Next time, no facial hair. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to possess you, then shave myself. I'm going to shave yeah. you while I tie you up naked in front of a, a sexy little fire. Yeah. That was, it was a bizarre scene. Nonsensical. Uh, completely nonsensical. Yeah. I think I was still like kind of thrown off from the, the killing of the with, with the car door because like, you're still kind of reeling from like, well, what, what just happened? Yeah. And meanwhile, like you're in this house now with this scene going on. It's really weird. Meanwhile, at Diana's house, she is waiting for Stephen to arrive to tell him this critical information about her daughter, Jessica. But this police officer shows up instead and tries to kill her because he's possessed by Jason. In the struggle, Diana sees Jason's reflection in the mirror as his true physical form. Uh, and then Diana shoots him in the head, but he survives and tries to give Diana his little possession kiss of death. But Stephen arrives in time to intervene. He impales Jason with a fire poker and throws him out the window, but Diana has been stabbed in the struggle, and her dying words to Stephen are, you have to save Jessica. The police chief arrives on the scene to see Diana dead, and Stephen, as the only other person in the room, So Stephen is taken into police custody as a suspect in her murder, and he insists that it was the police officer, I want to say his name was Josh, that Jason, that actually killed Diana. Like, that was the guy who Jason possessed. But of course, nobody believes that. Uh, And then the next morning, Jessica 
now arrives into town, the daughter and Stephen's baby mama arrives into town with her baby. <laughs> As she enters her mother's house, a woman is trying to scrub a giant bloodstain from the carpet and says, oh, sorry, I wanted to have this cleaned up before you got here. <laughs> like, yeah. As if the kitchen was full of dirty dishes or something. Oh, yeah. Like Jessica, whose mother just died the night before. Right, right. Just walked in the door to see a pool of blood, her mother's blood. And then she kind of like shrugs it off pretty quickly. Yeah. <laughs> like, That's oh, the thing. Don't worry about it. Yeah. For some reason, I, I thought this was like weeks later. Like she's had like time to process. There's been a funeral and stuff. But this was the next morning. This was the next morning, I'm pretty sure. Like her That's mom insane. had just died and she's just like. Showing up with the kid. <laughs> Oh, here I am. Oh, and like, oh, it. how inconvenient and gross that my mom was just murdered here. But yeah. I, I couldn't tell if it was the acting or like yeah, what, what the issue was here, but none of, none of this was hitting. I mean, it's the acting and the writing and the direction. It's all, Everything is a problem. Yeah. Yeah. Meanwhile, uh, so she asked about Steven too. Like, she's like, is he around? And she learns he's in police custody. So Stephen is in this cell next to bounty hunter Creighton Duke, who was arrested at the, at the diner for getting into a fight with a police officer. And in per, <laughs> I say one of the more ridiculous scenes in the film here in my notes, but there's already been so many ridiculous <laughs> yeah. scenes. Creighton tells Stephen that like, hey, I know the secret to killing Jason, but it's going to cost you. And he breaks one of Stephen's fingers for each bit of information that he reveals to him. Why? I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, he's really into breaking fingers. Yeah. It almost seems like it's a way of testing Stephen's will or commitment, but it's just like, who cares? Like, what? Yeah. So, anyway, Creighton reveals to him that the only way to kill Jason is to destroy his heart, and it has to be Jessica to do it. He tells him Jason wants to be reborn as himself, and Jessica is the only way he can do that because she is a Voorhees. He says, through a Voorhees he was born, and only through a Voorhees can he be reborn, and only a Voorhees can kill him. So we learn here, if we haven't learned it earlier in the film, I can't remember, that Jessica and her and Stephen's baby are the last surviving members of Jason's bloodline. And that's why he went after Diana, because he could be reborn if he possessed her. And Diana is his sister, right? Is, is she his sister? sister? I, I didn't know if it was ever clear exactly how they were related. Yeah, I thought they said that at one point, that, like, yeah, Diane, uh, yeah, Jessica's mom is the sister. So that makes, uh, yeah, Jessica, like, his niece, I guess. In this small town, how could you exist knowing, I mean, it happens, it's just very surprising that you could exist not knowing that you were the niece of Jason Voorhees. Like, yeah. wouldn't everybody know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone's got to know. At Crystal Lake? Yeah. 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 And yeah, they're right around that area too. Yeah. That, that's very uh, improbable that that would happen. Doesn't make any sense. Pretty puzzling. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I thought this finger-breaking scene, too, was just, like, th so dumb. Like, <laughs> it's nonsense. <laughs> adding this bounty hunter yeah. as a character is just... Yeah, so uh, over the top. It's over the top. It's just a weird choice for the franchise. Like, Yeah. <laughs> this movie, I feel like I thought of this movie as taking a big swing, but as we go through the plot, I'm like, this movie takes many big swings. It does, yeah. It really tries. I, I got to give her credit for that. It's trying... 
uh, it's stepping outside of its uh, comfort zone, going sure in a lot of different directions, but it's, it's pretty ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, Creighton tells Stephen to go to the Voorhees house to find proof that Jessica is of Jason's bloodline. With this knowledge given to him by a man who broke his fingers just for fun in prison, <laughs> uh, that's all Stephen needs to uh, hold a cop at gunpoint and break out of jail. I'm not sure why he couldn't have just told Jessica this information, but whatever. So Stephen heads to the Voorhees house on the off chance he can find proof of ancestry. Uh, and while he's there, he finds the Necronomicon. <laughs> so... <laughs> This is just a very small throwaway scene that is a little bit of an Easter egg, uh, partially because they didn't have the rights to like the Evil Dead in any way. Yeah. Um, but it tells the viewers that Jason is essentially a deadite and that Evil Dead and Friday the 13th exist in the same shared universe. Yeah. How could they reference that book if they didn't have the rights? Because the Necronomicon is a book that I think H.P. Lovecraft came up with that just kind of exists in pop culture um, that I, I think can be kind of used at will. I, oh, got I'm it. not That's even not sure, to be honest, if they call it the Necronomicon in the Evil Dead franchise. I yeah. feel like they might just call it the Book of the Dead. Book of the Dead, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Got it. That makes sense. That's my guess about the rights. I'm not totally sure on that one, but... Yeah, okay. I mean, this leads us to believe that Pamela Voorhees resurrected Jason using, mm-hmm. you know, a spell, <laughs> a yeah. curse that from makes the Book sense. of the Dead. She had that huge, like, prayer room, right, in part one? Like a, a room with, like, a bunch of candles lit. Uh, Jason had, like, a shrine to to her, right? Oh, is that what it was? She... Oh, in, oh, okay, so it was part in two. In part two, yeah. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, at first I was like, oh, good, that can explain why, like, Jason is like an adult, mm-hmm. right? And like, did he grow to adulthood in those woods? Like he could have come back and taken the life of an adult, yeah. the body of an the adult body. man. Yeah, a hockey player. Right, but because his true... <laughs> yeah, yeah, a hockey player. But because his true form in the mirror oh, is yeah. Jason and not little boy Jason, that, right. that doesn't Breaks quite... logic. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, while Stephen is at the Voorhees house, uh, Jessica's new boyfriend enters, and he is the broadcaster from that national news program we saw on TV earlier. And we learn that he has stolen Diana's body from the morgue and hidden it in this house so that his news crew can do a live story from the Voorhees house and be the ones who discover that Jason hid the body there. <laughs> Typical news. <laughs> you know how you do, as one Schemes. does. Yeah. But before he can execute his plan, Jason barges in wearing the body of that police officer, Josh, I believe, and gives the news guy uh, one of his possession kisses so that he now becomes Jason. So Jessica's boyfriend is now Jason. And when the cop transfers Jason's consciousness or whatever into jessica's boyfriend he kind of just becomes like a puddle of ooze like he he oh, briefly yeah. returns to himself for a moment and then he just mm-hmm. like kind of just like melts oozes into a death yeah yeah that looks pretty cool yeah yeah it did look cool what do you think of like the passing back and forth of the consciousness like i know the idea it seems like we both think is a little bit dumb but like how it happens like 
you know, yeah, I, th- I think it's cool. Like the thing coming out of the person's mouth uh, and going into someone. I, I like the concept. Uh, and it, it's just like, yeah, it feels out of place in the context of Friday the 13th and Jason. But uh, I, I think it looks pretty cool. Like this idea that the body that they're in can't live for long. So they have to like, kind of keep passing it to others. Reminds me a lot of like, was it Slither in like movies like that? Where like yeah. Yeah, things go into people's bodies and possess them. Uh, but here you just have like a singular entity that's just like body hopping basically. So it's kind of fun to to watch that happen. Yeah, it's kind of like a body snatcher type movie in a way. Yeah, yeah, right. What do what do you think of it? I'm not a huge fan of it. I just <laughs> it's just weird. It's just too much for this franchise. For but, this, yeah, it's totally out of place here. Yeah, this doesn't yeah. make any sense. So this uh, this newscaster goes to attack uh, his own girlfriend Jessica, but a fugitive Stephen who is broken out of jail saves her before he can do so. So he, Jason, Stephen always seems to show up right in the nick of time to like right. save somebody. Uh, so Stephen and Jessica escape in a car, but she kicks him out of the car and drives away on her own and reports the whole thing to the police. Jason barges into the police station where he's followed her and he kills a whole bunch of people, but Stephen again shows up right in the nick of time and saves Jessica's bacon... <laughs> After doing a ridiculous move where he jumps over his own handcuffs <laughs> like a ninja, like his hands yeah. are handcuffed behind him and he jumps over his hands. I never thought about doing that. That's really so, cool. <laughs> I, oh. It's so easy. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. If I tried to do that, it would be so bad that it wouldn't even be clear that that's what I was trying to do. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it just look it's just like, hey, why'd Brian fall over? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> need some help there uh, so yeah his hands are still cuffed but they're in front of him and he like steals a cop's gun and fires it at Jason and and they escape so Stephen and Jessica head to the diner to get Jessica's baby since she left it there with some friends but Jason of course follows them there and kills a bunch of people despite one weirdly badass waitress who shoots Jason multiple times with a shotgun and oh, yes. nearly impales him with some random rebar lying around yeah, she came out of nowhere. I was she like, came out of nowhere like an action hero. <laughs> yeah. I want to find out more about her. I know, I know. That would be a good story. Um, unfortunately, Jessica and Steven find out that Creighton Duke has captured the baby before they got to it and leaves them a note that says he's got the baby at the Voorhees house. Jessica once again ditches Steven for some reason and heads <laughs> there on her own. Why does she keep doing that? I don't know. That's the thing. Like, uh, there's uh, the movie starts. There's a lot of friction between them, right? Like, they're kind of estranged. Right. Uh, he hasn't like seen his daughter or something, and we don't. We never find out why, right? Like, why? Uh, no, we don't. Separate. Zero reason of why they aren't together anymore. Yeah. So it's just a, a interesting setup that like only serves for the purpose of her continuing to ditch him <laughs> throughout the whole movie. Yeah. Like, I get it if you're mad at a guy, but <laughs> this yeah. is like life and death situations. It's so right foolish and like he seems to have a lot of information on like what's going down yeah you might want to pay attention to this guy yeah yeah um she finds duke at the Voorhees house holding her baby which she hands back to her and then throws her a knife while she's holding a baby which she luckily catches and it glows red at the touch of her hand i read online that this is a kandarian dagger from evil dead 2 but oh i i didn't pick up on that okay he tells Jessica that only she can kill Jason, and then he randomly falls through a trap door in the floor just as two cops <laughs> arrive on the scene. Yeah. And our characters are suspicious as to whether or not 
like one of these cops who just walked in is actually Jason, which makes no sense because they are both talking like normal humans and Jason hasn't been able to do that when he's possessed any other body. Yeah, suddenly the rules have changed. The rules have changed. And of course, it turns out one of them is Jason and was like able to like sneakily pass it off speaking in his normal voice. Right. But Stephen again arrives just in the nick of time and decapitates this cop with a machete. Without his cuffs on, I'm pretty sure. How did he get out of his cuffs? Oh, who? uh, Stephen? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, He probably did a few more like uh, jumps. (laughs) Just jump enough times and they'll (laughs) fall off. Exactly. Like get a skip it going and... Yeah. yeah. Once Jason's head is off, a little demonic creature climbs out of his neck, which is not something we've really seen before. It's just, I thought it was just like a wiggly long tongue coming out of Jason during his weird possession kisses. I didn't know it was like a person, a, a little, little person. A, a little monster crawling yeah. back and forth. Me neither. I, that was news to me. Um, they, could you see it pretty well or like was the lighting pretty dark here? Uh, I felt like I got a good glance or two. Okay, maybe I just couldn't believe what I was seeing. Yeah, it's possible. Anyway, this creature scuttles into the basement, which is where Diana's dead body is hidden, and Stephen asks Creighton Duke, like, uh, the whole thing about Jason only being reborn through a Voorhees, does it have to be a living Voorhees? And with this, Jason emerges from the basement, returned to his true form because he found Diana's dead body back down there and transferred <laughs> to her. Which, again, seems like a pretty loose interpretation of the rules, but whatever. Yeah. Jason is now embattled with Stephen and Jessica. He, at one point, throws Stephen onto a piece of playground equipment, like a what I've always called a jungle gym. Is that what oh, you think yeah. of it as well? Uh, yeah, yeah, that round, like, half semicircle thing. It, it's like a semi... Yeah, it's like a little, like, tower of bars that you cl- climb up. Yeah, right. And I just thought that was so stupid. He, like, throws him onto it and then it tips over <laughs> yeah like, the whole thing just falls oh away. no <laughs> <laughs> Not now Stephen's gym. in trouble yeah um and jessica eventually stabs jason through the heart with the dagger which causes orange glowing balls of energy to shoot out of him Stephen begins punching him in the face which <laughs> makes more little pieces of glowing energy <laughs> yeah, come out of his face which looks so stupid yeah And giant hands emerge from the ground to pull Jason down into hell while a bright light shines down from the sky on him. Did you interpret that bright light from the sky as being from heaven? Uh, No, I thought it was a UFO. (laughs) Oh, okay. Okay. (laughs) Side conversation for another time. (laughs) You think it was heaven? I kind of thought so. They shine a light down for the demons to come. I mean, if (laughs) if there's hands being pulled pulling him presumably into hell and a yeah. white light is shining on him from the sky. I thought maybe like ah, God was yeah. banishing him back to hell in a way. Uh, interesting. That makes a lot more sense. Or it could have been UFOs. Does maybe he go to space at some point? I think Jason X might be in space. Oh yeah. I thought this was a foreshadowing. The UFO tried to get him here, but then hey, maybe, maybe you're right. <laughs> uh, Jason is finally sucked into hell and all is calm as Jessica and Steven peacefully walk away arm in arm. And nothing but Jason's mask remains on the dirt where he was sucked into hell. However, we see Freddy Krueger's hand emerge from hell and pull Jason's mask underground with him, which sets us up for uh, the eventual film where they cross over, which ends up being two films for me. Two films later, yeah. Right. Oh, man. (laughs) He got through it. 
<laughs> what a mess of a movie. I mean, yeah. I think there's these big swings, right? But it's like big swing after big swing after big swing after big swing with like continuity issues, breaking of rules, inexplicable plot points. Right. It's just such a mess that like if you're going to take these swings, you really got to like, if not nail it, at least have some consistency and a sense of continuity and this this movie just doesn't it doesn't yeah and it like keeps making up rules or like insanity as it goes along uh there's just yeah there's nothing for the audience like kind of grasp onto here because like anything can happen at any time yeah yeah and you're really not that i expected of a friday the 13th film at this point but you're really like not on a journey with a particular character like right right i think steven's the main character but yeah there really party. isn't one, almost. Yeah, and like I feel like I don't know Steven, because like, obviously he's done something, uh, something's gone down between him and Jessica, and we have no idea what it is, uh, but we're supposed to be bought into them as main characters. Right, right. And then for them to walk away arm in arm after she's ditched him like three times. <laughs> Four times a charm. <laughs> after, after, after her life's been saved or you sent Jason to hell. Hey, the title too. Uh, I assume Jason would be in hell for the whole movie, not just at the end. He goes to hell. The And, you know, they've got like all these flames in the background of the cover of the film. Yeah. And the little crawly demon is like in his face. So I guess I should have seen that coming. Oh, um, yeah. But yeah, it, it that imagery really makes you think of a different type of movie. Right, yeah, not this one. <laughs> no, we don't see hell. He doesn't go to hell until the end and it's even yeah. there it's not any hellish imagery except for some hands pulling him down. Yeah. One theory I've got uh, cuz yeah, this is new line and they're starting to bring in Freddy uh, Krueger into this. You're not going to like this theory, but Nightmare on Elm Street is such a shitty franchise. Oh, and God. Jake... <laughs> Come on. You're just, like, trying to sneak in himself. But continue. Yeah, exactly. It was this movie trying to bridge, like, the Friday the 13th franchise, which has been, like, pretty... Like, getting okay, maybe. But now they realize, oh, we're going to, men- we're gonna like, bring these two universes together. So let's start to make this one, like, uh, feel shittier. And then that way, when it is Freddy versus Jason, like, now they're kind of, like, at the same level. It's kind of like when you dumb yourself down for an audience, maybe. I do think there was like concern that both franchises were starting to not perform as well and that they oh. needed to rejuvenate somehow. And the idea of the crossover had kind of been floating around for a while. Gotcha. Okay, okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It would be fun to get to that movie. But you don't think they're purposely trying to make this one movie bad so that it's more uh, in tone? Or at, oh, at the same I, level? You're, what you're saying is they it would be too big of a jump if this movie was good. No. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, I don't. And screw <laughs> it's you. All right. It's alright. Hey, Just did you <laughs> did you notice that the crate from Creepshow was in the Voorhees basement? Oh no! In the Voorhees? No way! Really? Yeah. Wow, and we just what? brought that up in the Bride of Chucky episode because yeah. it was at the police station. I read online that it was in the police station evidence room, mm-hmm. but after this, I was like, this feels like a lot. And I I went back and rewatched those scenes in the at the beginning of Bride of Chucky. Yeah. Whoever wrote that online is either wrong or has an incredible eye because I <laughs> I could not see it in there. But but you saw it you saw it here. It is definitely in the the Voorhees basement. Yeah. Oh okay. That's funny if there's someone around just going around on the internet like putting that crate everywhere. I like, know, someone, right? Like, like let's put the crate in every movie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, speaking of just like w- weird things to pick up on while you're watching, there are like several continuity issues. Um, like when the 
FBI agent in a towel is running from the cabin. She has shoes on sometimes and is in bare feet other times. Mm, yeah. Um, and then the one I really noticed when we were watching is Creighton Duke leaves that note saying, like, I took your baby. And it it seems like he either leaves two different notes or they just, like, accidentally screwed up because the note changes. Like, what it says on the note oh. is, chain, is different each time they pick it up. Oh, no way. Okay, okay. So it's either a, yeah. a goof and it's supposed to be the same note or there was, like, he left a note, like, with a couple people or something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. How does, because uh, she grabs the note. I don't think uh, Steven sees the note, does he? I thought he, I I think he does, so that's it. She sees the note at first, and then he it, right? sees it later, Oh, and he sees different words different, on the note. Yeah, so it's it. either a different note or they screwed up. Yeah. And either tracks. way, it's like, why the hell would he leave two notes? Yeah, I don't know. Sometimes you start writing, and like, I don't like this one. I don't like this writing. one. <laughs> Let me try a couple options. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then there's like a moment with uh, the knife at the Voorhees house where she falls, and the knife is just like, under a falls thing. free when it was like lodged in someone's body like it oh there's a lot of little stuff like that where it's just yeah distracting like this movie is sloppy in, it really is yeah in every sense of the word and you can't afford the sloppiness when the plot is so convoluted anyway yeah Voorhees was spelled with only one o on their mailbox oh wow maybe that's why people didn't know they're related Cause right? <laughs> Those must be the Voorheeses. Yeah. <laughs> totally different family. <laughs> there's also this, uh, in that tent, there's this weird, like, condom dissing scene. <laughs> like, Oh, yeah. That wasn't right. very helpful for the teens going to see this movie. They're just no. like, condoms but- suck, and they toss it aside in the tent. But then it appears out in the woods later, when it's like, well, how did that get there? There's just... Yeah. I normally don't like go through and read the goofs on IMDb, but I Too caught enough here. of them as I was watching to just be like, there's got to be yeah, a that, ton of these. That scene got me thinking to that theory around uh, slashers and like the metaphor about sex and penetration. And like, yeah, here's a, a guy being like, yeah, I, don't, I don't like condoms. And like she throws it away and then she gets killed. And like, is that uh, a comment on uh, what happens if you don't have safe sex? You get penetrated in your stomach. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> something something uh, bursts uh, through, through her stomach like shortly after, right? Yeah, I guess she was impregnated with a... Yeah, a yeah. spear or whatever. Yeah. A spear. Yeah, maybe that was the setup. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> glad, glad we agree. Yeah. <laughs> so, nuances here. Uh, but yeah, I, I, yeah, yeah, it's a, a very nuanced and symbolic film. It is, it is. Uh, yeah, I know the, you know the story is incoherent. Uh, you're at a lot of goofs along the way. Yeah, and I, and I wonder how much of that is because you have these two directors like kind of uh, coming in and out or like fighting with each other on creative stuff. Like maybe that's what we're seeing here. It's just like a bunch of people who don't agree on a story or a movie trying to put something cohesive together. Right, right. And and Anastra just said two directors. I don't think we mentioned that in the background info that it sounds like Cunningham stepped in and directed a, a little bit of the movie. How much? I'm not sure. But Right, right. Like reshot a few scenes or something. I do think that's a, that is probably a product of them butting heads and not seeing eye to eye. That just like there's mismanagement, poor coordination. Yeah. And this dude maybe just being a young director who doesn't have that much experience, like a lot fell through the cracks. Right. Right. Yeah, I could see that being the case. Also, that con- 
Kandarian dagger. Like, why is it suddenly important? He never, he broke a lot of fingers and didn't bother telling Stephen <laughs> anything about a dagger. He just said yeah. destroy the heart. So like, right. why does it have to be with this glowing dagger? It's, I know, I know. And why <laughs> throw yet another thing into into this? By just the way, it. speaking of broken fingers, that wasn't the problem for Stephen Later in the anything film. else in the film he he did everything just fine despite having at least three broken fingers i know i know i was wondering how he got through the rest of the film like beat up got those punches in on uh jason exactly he punched quite a few in. people stole some guns jumped out of handcuffs yeah yeah it's impressive yeah. uh do you think this movie like does this movie suffer because it is jason and uh they're trying to squeeze it into the franchise uh is there a version where like this film, if it wasn't Jason and just like a standalone movie about like some other serial killer who's like dead and then it like, yeah, he gets his, his, his heart, his heart like starts taking over people. Do you think that would have worked better? Like if you separate this from the franchise, does that make it the movie any better for you? I think it would have worked better, but still been a bad movie because this is just fundamentally a bad movie. Yeah, that's true. But yeah, yeah. I think it adds insult to injury that it's like a beloved franchise with a mythology that never seems to really hint at this as a possibility. I mean, maybe, yeah, exactly. it, maybe it does, but this is, this feels like a big jump. Yeah. I mean, two or three movies back, they suddenly brought up like, uh, was it people could have like, uh, see things or move things with their mind. Right. Yeah. That was part seven. Yeah. So supernaturalness Which, uh, isn't new to the franchise, but it's not common. Yeah. Right. It isn't common, and then uh, yeah, to pack it in suddenly to our main characters is really weird. Uh, did you think the family angle they went with here was very reminiscent of Halloween? And like, are they are they just kind of taking a note from that chapter? Right, they really could have. Right, right. Jamie B and Michael's sister. It's yeah, it is pretty much a ripoff. Like, oh, Jason's got a sister, and he's going after her. Yeah, make it a family affair. Um, you talked about at the beginning of this movie how. Like, oh, they're bucking the cliches of this opening. Mm -hmm. But this movie, the power goes out three separate times in this movie (laughs) for no reason. And two of the times it goes out while a woman is in the shower. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So it's just like, oh, my God, what are we doing here? Yeah, it's like repeating itself. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think there's a big uh, fight behind the scenes, too, with one of those uh, shower scenes where I think the director, Marcus, wanted more nudity or something. Yeah, I couldn't figure out if he was defending his actress who didn't really want to do the nude scene or if Cunningham was directing the defending the actress who didn't want to do it. Yeah. Yeah. But the the, the butted heads over that. Yeah. Two scenes like that uh, seems over the top. Um, I in, in, when, when that showed up, like in like the, within the first five minutes of this movie, uh, it got me thinking like is Friday the 13th kind of notorious, like out of all the other franchises for having like the most kind of like uh, sexualized scenes like that uh, and like nudity uh, out, of, out of like the Halloweens and Nightmare on Elm Streets? I think so, yeah. And like specifically people being killed while they're having sex. Oh, yeah. Um, right. I, I do great. think Friday the 13th has more of that. And, you know, it got stuck with that reputation, but I, I think it kind of kind of earned it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Sure. For earlier films. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's funny. Most Jason films are too simple, but this one is too complicated. <laughs> yeah. There's so many characters. 
There are so many characters, so many different relationships, connections to people. Everyone's like dating a cop for some reason. Oh yeah, uh, like uh, young, attractive waitresses yeah. are dating sixty-year-old <laughs> cops all yeah. over town. Yeah, these cops of uh, that town, they're they're running the scene there. Yeah. Uh, There's a lot mustache. of different like locations and stuff too. It's yeah. it's kind of an all over the place movie. It is. It is. Yeah. It's a mess, a hot mess. Do you have anything nice to say about this hot mess? Uh, the only thing nice I had was they tried to do something different, but none of that worked. So no, I don't. <laughs> nice to say. Uh, do you? I think it was nice to see the kills not all chopped up with horrible editing due to the MPAA pushing back. And hmm. it was a pretty like, like gory affair sometimes. Um, yeah. It had some, these... some decent kills. Yeah. I thought like the gore you like after the kill looked great, but did, yeah. like wording the kills themselves. I, like, pretty yeah, memorable? I guess some of the, the kills specifically weren't that good, but yeah, we but did see effect. a decent amount of blood and guts. Yeah. Yeah. And th- that always looks good. That's your key and B. That's, yeah, KNB EFX. Although yeah. they hadn't become KNB yet. I think they were still their full names. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, they always do a great job on these movies. Yeah, yeah, they really do. Kurtzman, Nicotero, and Berger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, honestly, that's that's maybe the only good thing to say. I, I will agree with you, that, like, props for taking the swing, but they just didn't work. Yeah, I agree, I agree. And, uh, yeah, having a movie like this with, like, Jason what, what is like probably on screen for like five, ten minutes at this whole Yeah, movie. like Jason in his true form, yeah. Maybe right. probably less than that. Definitely not ten. Yeah. That's a huge miss. Uh yeah, I can't believe they, they That is, that I mean, that's the same mistake of Halloween three. Like It is, yeah. But in Halloween three, like they didn't even like reference Michael Myers, right? It was like completely. No, different. That, I mean that was a that's definitely its own thing. That that's just Yeah. That is the poster child for <laughs> that's why we're calling it a Halloween three. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Poster right. child for just like taking it in a way unexpected course that is not what people paid the money right. to see. Right, right. Uh, all right, man. Zero to five fireside kisses from Jason. What do you give this movie? <laughs> uh, I'll struggle between one to one and a half fireside kisses. Uh, I think I'll go with one and a half. I think just like uh, it's uh, just like Jason in this movie. I think this movie suffers from an identity crisis and it veers too off course from the source material and it makes what made the brand interesting uh, a lot less interesting and pretty pretty dull. What about you? Agreed. I'm right there with you. I also gave it a 1.5 out of 5 fireside kisses from Jason. I think while the decision to take the franchise in a new direction is admirable, the film's plot is so nonsensical and convoluted that the creative team's big swing ends up being a big whiff oh yeah for sure <laughs> a colossal failure to me it, it really is yeah it's kind like of it's, it, it's a functioning know. competent movie on many levels but it's like a total failure on so many others it is yeah 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 it's 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 watchable right but it's, it's just watchable like, it is watchable, trying to make sense of it which is why i yeah. like felt like i couldn't go with a one right but right. it's angers me enough one is i reserve one for like i'm angry i'm angry throughout a good chunk of this movie right and there was a lot of anger but it was at least watchable Mm. so yeah Yeah. 1.5 nice nice yeah watchable but nonsensical (laughs) but nonsensical exactly yeah (laughs) anything else buddy uh that's all i got 
All right, that has been our episode on Jason Goes to Hell, the final Friday. We wish all of you a happy Friday the 13th coming up in a couple of days here. If you want to get in touch with us, go to horrormovieclub.com and click on the social links drop down. You'll find links to Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter where you can send us a message, whatever. You can also see a post from us every Thursday that tells you what movie we're going to be covering next week on the podcast. There's also a link on that social links drop down on the website to our Discord server, which is a great community of listeners and horror movie fans if you want to just get on there and talk horror with people. If you want to support the show financially and gain access to some bonus content, like our recent episode on Halloween 4, you can go to horrormovieclub.com and click on the big orange Patreon button and support us for a dollar a month to gain access to that content. Uh, our logo is done by Amy Mae Popart. You can find her on Etsy.com by searching Amy Mae Popart, all one word. And until next time, I know this goes against common wisdom, but uh, always trust a man that does you bodily harm in prison. <laughs> you won't regret you it. Yeah, you can't go wrong that way. Exactly. <laughs>